And if you have a Bible today, we're going to be in Joshua chapter number two. Joshua chapter two today is where we're going to be. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And most of the verses will be on the screen as well today. Joshua chapter two. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And we want to encourage you to take that Bible home if you need a Bible. If you're ready to dive in today, would you say amen? Joshua chapter 2. Let's start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says this, And Joshua the son of Nun, or the Hebrew pronunciation Nun, sent out of Shidom two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men hither tonight out of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And when the woman took the men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. She said, I don't know where they are. I know uh, the men that you're talking about, but I don't know where they are. Let's skip down to verse number 9. This is Rahab speaking. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. Watch this. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Do you believe that this morning? Let's have a word of prayer together as we dive into our text today. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. And God, thank you for this time that we can come together and study your word. Lord, I pray that today we would have a better understanding of how to increase our faith and to live and to walk by faith. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. I pray that we would have open hearts and open minds that are ready to receive that which you have for us today. And God, I just pray that you would instill within us a holy focus today to look to your word and to glean how we can have courage and bravery uh, that is biblical and that is pleasing to you in the day in which we're living. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. how many of you remember your first car? You remember your first car? I remember my first vehicle was a 1989 Brown Ford F-150. And I absolutely loved it. It was, it was the best uh, truck. And uh, nothing in that truck worked. The radio didn't work. And, and, uh, but I had pride of ownership in it. And I just, it was a stick shift. I just loved driving that truck. And it was the type of truck that I would take it through the car wash. And the truck looked exactly the same coming out of the car wash as it did going into the car wash. And one of my favorite uh, features of that truck was that it had a dual gas tank. 
How many of you have ever driven a truck or a vehicle with a dual gas tank? It's pretty awesome because if you start running out of gas, you don't have to sweat, you don't have to be nervous, you just can flip the switch and you have a whole brand new gas tank that you can rely on. And I remember driving one day, and I was driving down the road, and uh, the truck started to kind of shake and jolt and kind of go back and forth. And sure enough, I looked down, and I ran out of gas. But I just leaned over to that little switch, and I flipped the switch, uh, flipped the tanks, and I went to that reserve tank, and it was smooth sailing after that. And uh, it came in very handy. And I love driving that truck with the uh, reserve fuel tank because if I was running low, if I was running on empty, I knew exactly what to do. The question that I want us to consider today is when we are running low on faith, how do we respond? When we are running uh, on empty spiritually, uh, how do we respond in those moments? Because uh, faith is a pretty big deal in the Bible. In fact, if you study the scripture, you know that we are called to walk by faith. We are saved by grace through faith. We're called to live by faith. In fact, the Bible says that anything that we do in our lives apart from faith, it's sin. Think about that. Anything that you're doing in your life and you're trusting in your own flesh, you're trusting in your own ways and not trusting in the Lord, uh, that's a sinful path that you're walking on. And so uh, the Bible calls us to walk by faith, to live by faith, and uh, uh, we are to do everything in our lives uh, with faith. Why? Uh, the Christian life is not about trying it's all about trusting, that we are called to trust in the Lord, uh, in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not unto our own understanding. And so what do we do when we're running low on faith? What do we do when the excitement wears off and then doubt starts to creep in and we really do wonder, does God have a purpose in my situation? What do we do when we really start to wonder, can my marriage actually experience restoration? Are my children going to leave uh, the faith when they graduate high school? Uh, what do we do when doubt starts to creep in and we're running low on faith? See, uh, faith and fear, they're always at odds. Uh, they're always battling against one uh, another. And uh, that's why Charles Spurgeon said this, fear imprisons us, but faith sets us free. Fear puts us down in bondage, but faith liberates us. Fear paralyzes, faith empowers. Fear disheartens, faith encourages Fear sickens, faith heals. Fear makes us useless, but faith makes us serviceable. And so faith and fear, they're always at odds. And so what do we do when our faith is running on empty? Well, I love what Peter says in the New Testament. Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 5. Are you with me today? He says in verse number 5, And beside this, giving all diligence, so you're really going to have to pay attention you're really going to have to be diligent about this. Uh, it's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen by default. Giving all diligence, add to your faith. Did you know that you can add to your faith? That you can build upon your faith, add to your faith virtue and a virtue knowledge. And he goes on and he lists other things. And what is he saying? He's saying, hey, there are times when you need to build upon your faith. You need to strengthen your faith, reinforce your faith. You need to fuel uh, your faith. This is what Peter is saying. Uh, build upon, add to your faith, strengthen your faith in those times of need. Now, we come to Joshua chapter 2 today, and I believe that we see a picture of just that. We see a picture of how we can fuel our faith, build our faith, so that we can have strong faith in the days in which we are living. We come to Joshua chapter 2, and we see really one of the greatest examples of faith, I believe, in all of Scripture. This example of faith comes from an unlikely source, an unlikely source that we start to see faith uh, begin to surface. And I want us to kind of gather the context starting in verse number 1 today. Notice verse number 1. If you're there, would you say, Amen. Amen. Verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly. And so Joshua 
He does this in secret. He doesn't tell everyone what he's going to do. But as a good general, he's going to send two men to go out and to spy the land of Canaan, that land that God promised to them. And so he doesn't broadcast his business. He doesn't post it on Twitter or on Facebook. He just says, okay, this is what we're going to do. He gets the two guys together, and he says, you're going to go, and you're going to spy out the land. This was a mission of espionage. I remember uh, this past summer, uh, we took our kids to Washington, D.C., and one of the things that we did there was we went to the International Spy Museum. And my kids loved going to the International Spy Museum. But what they loved most about the International Spy Museum, by far, was the gift shop. <laughs> they just wanted to go to the gift shop and see all the little gadgets and things that they could, that they could uh, ask for and beg us for. And my son Luke ended up getting uh, these pair of sunglasses that had little mirrors inside of the sunglasses. How many of you have ever seen that? And uh, you can get these mirrors on the inside of the sunglasses so you can see behind you. And so you could kind of be spying. And so the rest of the vacation, Luke was just constantly looking behind, like constantly uh, acting like he wasn't paying attention, but he was watching us and uh, trying to fulfill uh, that, that dream of being a spy. You know, there's something intriguing about espionage. There's something intriguing about being a spy. And this mission was a dangerous mission that uh, Joshua was sending these two spies out to go and uh, to spy out the land. This was enemy territory. They could very easily lose their lives. Now, how many spies... Pop quiz this morning. How many spies did Joshua send out? Very good. Daniel was very confident because he got it very wrong in the first service. But he sent out two spies. And uh, he sent out two spies to go spy out the land of Canaan. Now, if you were here last week, how many spies did Moses send out? You're quizzed out, Daniel. You're quizzed out. Moses sent 12 spies, if you were here last week. Remember we sang the song, 10 were bad and 2 were good? Right, those 10 spies, they were negative that Moses sent out to the promised land. And they said, man, the giants are too big. We'll never be able to get victory. We'll never be able to conquer the land. We can't do it, Moses. They were really discouraging. They were naysayers. Anybody know anybody like that in your life? All right. And then there was two encouraging people, Joshua and Caleb. They said, no, no, we can do this. Hey, we can take the land. Hey, let's go. Our God's big. I know those giants are big, but our God is bigger. Aren't you thankful today that even when our problems are big, our God is bigger? And Joshua and Caleb, they said, hey, we can go. We can take the land. But those 10 negative spies, they really put a damper on the situation, right? And, uh, and so that was uh, 40 years earlier that Moses sent out those 12 spies. This time when Josh was in control, he sends out only two spies. Now, I don't believe that this is the central idea to the text. I don't think it's the main point, but I think there's a principle here. Joshua was limiting the amount of, the amount of opinions that he was subjecting himself to. You know, there are times in life when we need to limit the amount of opinions that we subject ourselves to. Did you know that you don't have to listen to every single podcast that comes your way? That you don't have to listen to every news media channel? That you don't have to watch every YouTube video? That you don't have to believe everything that your neighbor tells you? That you don't have to listen to every single thing that your coworker at work tells about you? There are sometimes, uh, there are certain times as followers of Jesus when we need to tune out the voices of the world and tune into the voice of God. And so Joshua says, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ask everybody what their opinion is about this mission. I'm going to send two trusted spies to go and to gather intel uh, on the land. And so he goes and he sends out these two, mission, uh, two spies on this mission. And if you read the story, it almost seems like they failed the mission. Because if you read the story, they get caught right away. Uh, they, or they get found out right away, rather, and uh, uh, they know the king of Jericho says, hey, we know that there are spies here, and they had to hide, and they had to leave a little bit early. From a human standpoint... From a human standpoint, it seemed as though they failed the mission. But can I tell you from a divine standpoint, 
they succeeded in what God wanted them to do. Because I believe that more important than gathering intel on the land, what God really wanted them to do in his providence was to meet a woman named Rahab. And Rahab was so important in redemptive history that she is mentioned no less than three times in the New Testament. And so while those spies maybe thought, man, we failed, we did not succeed on our mission, God was doing something in redemptive history behind the scenes. Can I tell you today that when you feel like a failure, when you feel like you're not doing a good job, when you feel as though you don't measure up, can I encourage you to keep on being faithful because you never know what our God is doing behind the scenes. Those spies had no idea how important Rahab would be, as we'll learn today. They had no idea what God was doing behind the scenes, but they were just doing what they were instructed to do, and God was taking care of the rest. God did not call us to be skillful. He called us to be faithful. And if we are faithful in doing what God has called us to do, if we are faithful, then God in his grace will allow us to be fruitful. And so uh, faithfulness is priority. Now, as we look to uh, this text, and as we dive a little bit deeper, I believe that we learn powerful principles about faith from an unlikely source, Rahab. And so today, as we dive deep into Joshua chapter 2, I want to give us three principles that can help us fuel our faith. Would that be okay today? If we want to add to our faith, reinforce our faith, fuel our faith, here's three principles that I believe will help us to that end. Number one today, if you're taking notes, number one is this. You are not defined by the designation of others. You need to know, if you're going to be spiritually courageous, that you are not defined by the designation of others. Now, let's pick up the text in verse number one. Joshua, son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and they came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And so right off the bat, we're introduced to Rahab as the harlot. So right off the bat, we are introduced to a story that is risque by nature. Rahab, the harlot, the prostitute. This is not at the top of the uh, curriculum for the kids' class, Lauren. We're not going to be talking about Joshua 2 maybe uh, next week. This is something that requires a little bit of discretion. You ever wonder why those spies went to a harlot's house? Man, it doesn't seem like the best testimony. (laughs) We're just going in for the coffee. We love the coffee, you know. These spies enter into Rahab's house. Some commentators say that uh, perhaps that was the one place where they could kind of keep their undercover identity, the only place where someone wasn't going to be asking a lot of questions. And whatever the reason was, they went to Rahab the harlot's house. And as we're introduced to Rahab, there is one crystal clear designation that you see time and time again. She was a harlot. She was a prostitute. Some, some commentators try to sanitize Rahab's life, and they try to say, well, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for harlot uh, really can carry the idea of an innkeeper. And so she was more of an innkeeper. And, uh, and I think there's some truth to that, but you can't mistake that the Bible in the New Testament explicitly calls her a prostitute. And I want you to know, that's kind of the point. That God is highlighting that he can use whoever he wants to use, and he is elevating and highlighting his beautiful, wonderful, matchless grace. Aren't you thankful today for the grace of God, that even when we don't deserve it, that even when sin abounds, that grace does much more abound. This is the point, that God can use unlikely people to accomplish his unfailing purpose. And so God is using even a harlot, even a prostitute, that was stuck in the mess of her past, that God still had a plan for her life, and that God still wanted to place his grace upon her life and use her for some wonderful uh, things for his purpose, for his glory. Uh, 
This is what she was designated as, Rahab the prostitute. That's what she was called. That's what she was called. You know, when we first started the church, I told a story about how when I was in college, I would go out to Blythe, uh, this little city in the middle of nowhere, and I would preach out in Blythe, this little uh, church that was there. They didn't have a pastor, and so I was kind of filling the pulpit for them. And I remember my first time showing up to that little chapel in Blythe. There was a little sign on the outside of the church. It had this little A-frame sign, and it said, Welcome, Pastor Mark Chapel. Well, my name's not Mark. It's Matt, but I didn't have the heart to tell them that, and so for a couple weeks, I just went by Mark until they kind of figured out that that's not what my name was. And I told that story uh, when we first started the church, and there's a man that attends our church. Many of you might know him and have met him. His name is Noah Jackson. And Noah heard that story, and to this day, every single time Noah sees me, he says, hello, Pastor Mark. And, uh, and uh, to him, it's the funniest thing in the world. And uh, he, he calls me constantly, uh, Pastor uh, Mark. And he always says, hey, Mark, uh, how are you doing? Uh, can I tell you today, be very careful that you don't mistake who you are for what you are called. Sometimes we blend those two things together. Because sometimes in life we're going to be called something that is not in alignment with who we are in Christ. You might be called a mistake. You might be called a failure. You might be called too young. You might be called too old. But I'm thankful today that when the world puts a designation on us, that we are not defined by the designations that the world puts on us. We are defined by who we are in Christ. And in Christ, we are children of God. We are sheep of his pasture. We are citizens of his kingdom. We are bricks in his house. And so we don't have to listen to what the designations that the world places on us are. We can listen into what God has to say about who we are. And so uh, uh, they place this designation upon Rahab. Why? Because we have this habit of designating people based on their past. This is what we do, right? Even in the Bible, Naaman was this mighty uh, Syrian general. But what do we call Naaman? Naaman the leper, right? Thomas, he was a disciple of Jesus Christ who had a strong faith in Jesus Christ that even went on to be a martyr for his faith. Why? Because he worshiped Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. And yet, what do we call Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Rahab would be used to do some incredible things by God. She'd be used to save uh, the nation of Israel. And what do we call Rahab? Rahab the harlot. But you know, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Good news or bad news? Is that good news or bad news? Bad. Be not deceived. Fornicator, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Good news or bad news? Bad. But I love this. And such were some of you. Good news or bad news? Very good news. But you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. God is far more interested in who you are than who you were. And so we do not have to be defined by the designation of others. You know, uh, Rahab is mentioned in the New Testament several times. We'll see that today as we study this passage. The first time that I want to highlight is in James chapter 2, verse 25, where James, the brother of Jesus, says this. Likewise also was not Rahab, the harlot, justified. Everybody nudge your neighbor and say justified. It's an important, it's an important word, justified. Was she not justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? Now, in context, James is describing how she demonstrated her faith by her works, that she was putting her faith on display. But it says this, was not Rahab the harlot 
justified. Justified. It's such an important word that you cannot afford to miss. The word justified means this. Declared righteous. Rahab was declared righteous. You know, in heaven, I don't think they call her Rahab the harlot. I think they call her Rahab the righteous because she put her faith on display and she was justified. She was declared righteous. And so today we have to recognize that we are not defined by the designation of others. We have to listen to what God has to say about who we are. And we should never put God in a box for who he can or can't use. And so God is going to use Rahab in a great way. Number one. You are not defined by the designation of others. Number two, God honors those who act in faith. I'm thankful today that we worship a God who honors those who act in faith. When we add to our faith, when we fuel our faith, when we are trying to be stretched and trusting in the Lord with our finances and and with our relationships, God will honor those who act in faith. Now, I want you to see verse number two, and let's dive into the heart of this narrative together. Verse two. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight, Uh, of the children of Israel to search out the country. The king's like, hey, we know that they're here. By the way, the children of Israel were camped just on the east side of Jordan. And from the walls of Jericho, they could see them plain as day. It was no surprise that they were there. And so uh, they knew now that these uh, spies were in Jericho. Verse 3. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them. And said thus, there came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. Now, make no mistake about it. This was a lie. She was lying. Uh, There is no way around this. In fact, notice verse number five. Not only did she lie, she was pretty good at it. Notice verse number five. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I wot not. I don't know where they went. Pursue after them quickly, for you shall overtake them. I like how she's even encouraging them in their life. She's like, go after them. You can do it. Like, don't give up. Uh, Keep on trying hard. You can find them. She was lying. She was pretty good at it. Now, God does not condone lying. God did not approve of the lie, but God did approve of Rahab's faith. And so even though her motive was right and her ethics were wrong, uh, God is still going to use her. And again, this, this tells us that we cannot, put, uh, uh, we cannot put people in a box and say, God can use this person and God can't use this person. Because here, even God was using a lying prostitute to accomplish his purpose. Notice verse number six. But she had brought them up, out of, uh, up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of the flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And so she hid them up on the roof there. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. Now, the author here creates some tension on purpose. If we were watching this, let's say, as a movie, this would be the most tense part of the movie because now uh, they go out, those people, the Jericho Police Department was going out to find these guys. They leave the city and they shut the gate and there's now no way to leave the city. Now, how are these spies ever going to get back to their family? How are they ever going to get back to their kids? How are they ever going to survive this? They shut the gates. How are they going to escape? But rather than Joshua resolving the tension, rather than explaining how they escape, instead he interjects and he tells us the most important part of the narrative. Instead, he is going to tell us this declaration that Rahab makes that is far more important than even how the spies exit the city. This is why Joshua chapter 2 really, uh, is here in, in, in the scripture. I want you to notice what Rahab has to say. This is really the key, starting in verse number eight. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof, and she said unto them, I know. 
She didn't say, I guess. She didn't say, I think. She didn't say, I hope. She said, I know. There was some confidence in what she was about to say. She says, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. What a statement. That was a statement that many people in Israel were not making. But she said, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Verse 9. And that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. She says, I know what God has done. In fact, she uses the covenant name for God. When you see Lord in all caps, that's the covenant name for God. That is Yahweh, that he is the self-existent one, that he is the self-sufficient one, uh, that he is the great I am, uh, that he is Yahweh. And, And Rahab says, I know that Yahweh will give you the land. How did she have such strong faith? How did Rahab have such strong faith that was even stronger than many people in Israel? Well, the Bible tells us. Notice it in verse number 11. Verse number 10. At the start of verse number 10. For we have heard. You know how she had such strong faith? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. She heard what God was doing and she believed. She heard about the crossing of the Red Sea. She heard about the works that God was doing, and she believed. And therefore, Rahab had stronger faith than many people in Israel because they not only heard it, they had the privilege of seeing it. They were there. They saw the Red Sea. They were there. They got to cross the Red Sea. They saw God do miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet, even in seeing, they did not believe that God could give them the land. And here is Rahab, who never saw it, and yet she believed See, sometimes we can be in an environment where God is working. We can be in an environment where God is working, and God can be working all around us. By the way, I'm thankful today that we are in an environment where God is working. I'm thankful in the last two weeks that we've had uh, children in Rock Hill Kids pray to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'm thankful that this Thursday night we had three teenagers pray to accept Jesus Christ in youth group. I'm thankful that last Sunday we had five people pray to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'm thankful that this year we've seen more people baptized already than any other year in the history of our church. Aren't you thankful that we're in a place that God is on the move? And it is not for our glory. And it's not because we're great and it's not because we're smart. It's because he is good. He is great. He is worthy. And he deserves all the credit and all the glory for everything that's said and done. But just because you are in an environment where God is working around you does not mean that you are allowing him to work within you. Because the children of Israel, God was working all around them. But they didn't believe that God would give them like, oh, the giants are too big. Bigger than the Red Sea? But yet Rahab, she heard and she believed. But not only did she have stronger faith than many people in Israel, she had stronger faith than anybody in Jericho. Because they all believed. And verse number 11 tells us they were all filled with terror. They were all scared to death. There was only one that was willing to uh, hide the spies. One that was willing to believe. One that was willing to put her faith in Yahweh. And you might say, well, I grew up in a, didn't grow up in a Christian environment. And I'm new to the faith. And man, I don't have any verses memorized. I don't even have a Bible. And and you might think, I don't have some of the, the resources that other people have. Can I tell you, neither did Rahab. Rahab did not grow up in a godly Christian home. Rahab grew up as an Amorite. You study the Amorites and see what kind of wickedness they participated in. Many times children sacrifice. 
She grew up as an Amorite in Jericho. She was a prostitute. She was a, ra- she, she was a harlot. Uh, she didn't have a lot going for her, and yet she still had faith to believe that God is who he says he is. In fact, notice her declaration in verse number 11 when she says, And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Rahab was starting to understand something about the sovereignty and the power of God, the one true Lord, Yahweh. She says, I heard and I believed. God honors those who act in faith. And so she hid the spies. Why did she hide the spies? Why did she put her own life in danger? Because she believed. She had faith. Now, the New Testament talks about her faith. And we already saw how James talked about Rahab. Now let's see how the author of Hebrews talks about Rahab. In Rahab chapter 11, or Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 31. Hebrews eleven thirty-one. This is what we would often call the hall of faith. And listing many prominent individuals who demonstrated faith. It says this, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Rahab is mentioned in the hall of faith. And then I love what the author of Hebrews says because he says next, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness and obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions. And and, uh, the author of Hebrews says, man, I don't even have time to mention David. I don't even have time to talk about Samuel or I don't even Samson. I don't even have time to talk about Gideon, but he does have time to mention Rahab. Why? Because God honors those who act in faith. And Rahab demonstrated her faith, as we'll see even further, and God honors those who act in faith. And this leads us to our third thought today. Number three is this. The third principle that I see in our text today is this. Faith on the inside will be visible on the outside. If you have faith on the inside, if you believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, if you have faith in the Son of God, you placed your faith in him, eventually, ultimately, it's going to be seen on the outside. You can't hide it for long. Uh, There's really no such thing as secret Christianity. So faith on the inside will be revealed on the outside, and we see that Rahab demonstrates that for us in the text today. Notice it in verse number 12. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token. She says, I'm really concerned here. She has a primary concern, but notice what her primary concern is in verse 13. And that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. Did you notice how Rahab is more concerned with her siblings than she is herself? Rahab has this primary concern. I believe in Yahweh. I believe in the power of your God. But I have a heart for my family. I have a heart to reach the lost. She was concerned with her family members. She was concerned with the people that needed to know about Yahweh, that needed to put their faith in him like she had. That was her burden. That was her prayer request. I wonder today, how is your burden for the lost people around you? Sometimes we can get frustrated with the lost people around us. Sometimes we want them to act like, sometimes we get frustrated when lost people act like lost people. You know, God's called us to be fishers of men, but don't try to clean the fish before you catch the fish. Let's preach the gospel, present the gospel, and allow the gospel to do a transforming work in their lives. Jesus can do a whole lot better job of transforming than you can. Rahab had a burden. I want to see my family reached. Maybe today you have a family member. 
Maybe you have a child, you have a sibling, you have a mother, you have a father that does not know the Lord. Can I encourage you? Do not give up on them. Keep on praying, keep on believing, keep on boldly approaching the throne of grace because our God can save. Even the worst of circumstances that you say, God will never redeem that person. What about the Apostle Paul? A murderer of Christians, hated Christianity, murderer of women and children? He'll never believe. Road to Damascus. God changes his life forever. The Apostle Paul had a burden for lost people. He had a burden for the people of Israel. In Romans chapter 9, verse number 2, it says that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. What, what did Paul, the apostle, this great missionary of the faith, what was so burdensome for him? He said, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. Paul said, I would rather lose my salvation, be cursed so that my people could be saved. This is the burden that he had. Paul was so concerned about reaching people with the gospel. Can I just remind you today at the 10 o'clock service, that's why we started this church. To give glory to God, he deserves it all. To encourage the saints, to build each other up but also so that we could go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in so that we would reach people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Why? Because faith on the inside will eventually be seen on the outside. And Rahab says, man, I want my family. Will you consider my family? Can they be saved as well? Then those spies, they have a conversation and they say, yes, we'll do this. And they give her some instructions on how this would take place. And I want you to notice what they tell her to do in verse number 18. Are you still with me? Verse 18, behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread, this red cord. I want you to take this red cord, this scarlet thread, in the window which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's house, uh, uh, household home unto thee. Get all your family, get all your siblings, your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, and get everybody in your house. And it shall be, verse 19, that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. This is what they said. If you display this red scarlet cord, this thread out of your window, when we come to take over the city and we see that cord, that will be the identification. That will be the outward expression of an inward decision kind of like baptism. This is going to be a sign of your faith so that we can see that red, that blood red cord, and you will be saved. It's very reminiscent of the book of Exodus when the blood was to be placed and smeared on the doorpost. You remember this? And whoever placed the blood on the doorpost, the angel would pass by. That's why they celebrated Passover. The angel would pass over that household. Why? The blood is a picture of salvation. I believe that that cord, that red cord, is a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of salvation because you need to know today, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. This speaks to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Why? The entirety of the Bible is one message. It's the message of redemption. One commentator William Evans said this, cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. The atonement is the scarlet cord running through every page in the entire Bible. It is red with redemption truth. First John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light 
and we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. This is why we are here today. This is why we can sing and smile. This is why we can know that we have purpose for our lives because Jesus Christ lived a perfectly sinless life and he went to the cross as the perfect spotless lamb of God without blemish and without spot. And it's by his stripes we are healed. It's because of his blood that we can be saved. And so Rahab, she demonstrates her faith she believes in Yahweh. We already saw that in verses 9 through 11. But now she is demonstrating her faith by putting out that red blood scarlet thread, identifying her with her faith. Why? Faith on the inside will eventually be seen on the outside. You can't hide it. Rahab put, the, put her faith on display. In fact, in verse number 21, it says this. And she said, according unto your words, so be it. I will do it. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet line in the window. Now, as we close, I want you to see what real faith looks like. Real faith. There's a lot of talk in our culture today about faith, and faith can be very abstract. It can be very general. It can be very subjective. I'm a person of faith, but that can mean all kinds of different things. Biblically, what is faith? Warren Wearsby said this, true saving faith involves the whole personality. The mind is instructed, the emotions are stirred, and then the will acts in obedience to God. That's what true faith looks like. Uh, there's an example of this in scripture in Noah. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, uh, that same hall of faith that we looked at a second ago, Hebrews 11, verse number seven, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as of yet. That was uh, his intellect. That was his mind being instructed, that, that he heard the instruction from the Lord, that we don't have a blind faith, that we have a faith based on evidence and instruction. Noah heard uh, the things that were warned of God. That was his intellect. And then it says this in Hebrews eleven seven. He moved with fear. That, that was his emotion. His emotions were moved with fear. So it was his mind. It was his heart. It was his emotions. What did he do? He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. That was his will. He acted upon it. That's what faith looks like. Rahab, same thing. Rahab heard of Yahweh, how he parted the Red Sea. That was her intellect. She feared for her family. That spoke to her emotions. She hid the spies. She displayed the cord. That was an act of the will. Why? Because real faith is more than something you feel. Real faith is more than something that you say. Real faith is something that you do. We cannot just be hearers of the word of God. We have to be doers of the word of God. Anytime we approach this book, we recognize God is speaking to us and he wants to change me. There's something in me that God wants to transform. Therefore, there's always an action that I should take. There's always something that I should do. That's what true faith looks like. It leads to action. It leads to doing. Now, as we close, Rahab is mentioned three times in the New Testament. We saw two already. Do you want to see the third one? Anybody else want to see the third one? We saw James. We saw Hebrews. Now, the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 1, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1, sometimes if you start your Bible reading plan, you read in Genesis 1 and Matthew chapter 1, you kind of skip over Matthew chapter 1 a little bit until you get to verse 18 or 19 that talks about the birth of Jesus Christ. Verse number 5 says this, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse and Jesse begot David the king. And out of David, the king, eventually comes the king of kings, Jesus Christ. And so a former prostitute is honored to be one of the great grandmothers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Don't ever let someone tell you that you cannot be used of God. Don't ever let someone tell you that your past is too far gone. Don't ever let someone uh, put a label on you and try to limit you by that label. I am so thankful today that Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus Christ, highlighting the grace of God and the mercy of God and the purpose that God has for each and every one of us. <laughs> highlighting his love and his mercy and his grace. This is how salvation is possible. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's by his mercy that he saves us. It's not because we're so great. The whole point is we are messed up just like Rahab. And God loves us anyways. And God wants to use us. And God has a plan for us. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace, Rahab didn't deserve it. She was a prostitute. For by grace are you saved through faith. Rahab had faith. She believed in Yahweh. She heard. She was justified by her faith. For by grace, she didn't deserve it. For by grace are you saved through faith, she believed, and that not of yourselves. Rahab couldn't do it on her own. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. And so today, if you've never been saved, you've never put your faith in the one true God, just like Rahab placed her faith in him, you can as well. And you can be saved. The Bible says in Romans 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is found in one name, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, today you can place your faith in him. You can believe in him, and you will be saved. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.